I think you know vanity. I think is a very big part of it. Yeah, it is very very rare to see actors playing their actual age, um, like you say, and like when you're saying about vanity, uh, kind of the probably the biggest offender right now is Sylvester Stallone, who has somehow got a second wind of his career and is kind of like a just kind of plastic faced action granddad now. Yeah, and the weirdest thing is about that is that he got that second wind by playing his age in uh, Rocky Balboa to an mm. extent because the whole thing about Rocky Balboa was uh, he was meant to be this old broken gut down guy who was just kind of pulled out of retirement to fight the champ and there was no there was no kind of uh, sense that he would win it was just about kind of uh, dragging himself out to the fight one more time there's a really good article on the dissolve in the week about the entirety of uh, Stallone's career and there was a, a nice thread in it talking about how the Rocky franchise is kind of autobiographical in that each film represents a different stage of Stallone's career and you can really see that in Rocky Balboa because he's like a has-been who's, who just kind of gets in the ring and perseveres one more time and in Rocky Balboa and in real life you know he acted his age and was rewarded for it and then the next thing he did was Rambo where he acted like he was a young action star again and then the expendables where he is purposely pitting himself against or working alongside people who are way younger than him and way fitter than him and still coming out on top mm. so uh so it's 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 very weird that someone who looks like sylvester stallone who does look like he's taken a lot of punches to the face <laughs> and it, it has kind of a, a mountainous quality to his face all ridges and creases uh, is is so vain, but that's kind of what a lot of his projects are these days. Yeah, it's um, a really mar- like kind of marked thing in in kind of films, uh, more so in uh, films than any other kind of entertainment industry, I guess. That how much of a kind of um, disparity there is uh, between older actors working and older actresses working. Um, I kind of knocked together a kind of a list of um, the kind of the biggest stars of the 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 new Hollywood era, shall we say, the uh, the era of cinema that uh, both yourself and myself uh, probably go on about a bit too much um, and like a lot, but you know it gave us a lot of um, key things and you know the actors that came out of that, the key actors you've got Pacino still working, De Niro still working, Nicholson still working, Robert Redford still pops up every now and then. Warren Beatty's kind of retired-ish but like most of the actors who are there um, you know are still kind of big draws today and I kind of did the same thing uh, for the female actors, the key actresses of that point of that uh, of that period and really Meryl Streep and Diane Keaton uh, it really uh, and then you've got names like Jane Fonda Faye Dunaway, Jessica Lange, Shelley Duvall Mia Farrow, Louise Fletcher Ali McGraw, Ellen Burstyn, Diane Cannon, Sissy Spacek, who are all either retired for one reason or another, or they're uh, just kind of shunted into kind of supporting roles, or um, you know they're just not not faded. They just kind of stopped working, and it's you know it's a horrible thing to have to say, but most of the time it's because when the looks fade and there's younger actresses come in, it's less of a deal to to bring in a young starlet than it is to replace a leading man That's a, it seems to me that uh, looking at age in film only serves to highlight gender inequality in film as well yeah and I think you also see with uh, I think it plays into the dynamic with the older actors because I think 
older actors probably don't want to be shown on screen uh, kissing and bedding someone their own age. I think they want to kind of play up their vanity that they could still get really beautiful young women because in real life they're famous actors and they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the reason why you might see, uh, you know, you're more likely to see uh, uh, Jack Nicholson with a young woman when he's well into his 50s or 60s or Sean Connery uh, than you are to see them with someone who's actually sort of age appropriate. Funny you should mention Sean Connery because twice in his film career twice no less he has um, played a role where his um, love interest is nearly 40 years his junior in both uh, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen which is his last film and Entrapment uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Peter Wilson were 39 years younger than him Uh, he also Alison Doody his uh, love interest in Indiana Jones The Last Crusade 36 years younger Um, Tia Carrera in Rising Sun 37 years younger uh, and that's just that kind of thing is is kind of uh, well unimaginable the other way around I mean Woody Allen as well does it you know oh yeah Woody Allen does it although to his credit he did uh, cast himself in an age appropriate relationship with Diane Keaton in Manhattan Murder Mystery right. but that is one of the only times he's yeah, he makes it. a film think, a year uh, when, <laughs> you know. when he was when he was in his 30s his, his relationships were fairly appropriate and then get to Manhattan and the, the younger women start to crop up a lot Yeah. Uh, and then then Mia Farrow and him which is again fairly appropriate and then that imploded in spectacular fashion <laughs> um, and uh, yeah then you start to see him being paired off with considerably younger women and uh, he seems a, a quite an offender in that regard mm. um, Jack Nicholson's a funny one because he was kind of still a sex symbol despite being a kind of short fat bald man Um but like he, I mean, obviously grew up watching films he's in, and you know, go and revisit the films he made kind of before I was alive, and you watch him. And I had to wait until kind of the early 2000s to actually see him play his age. And he plays; uh, it was in very kind of close proximity together. He played his age in The Pledge, the Sean Penn film, and also about Schmidt. And I found it really peculiar to suddenly see this man who's in his 60s playing a man in his 60s. Yeah, because he, his a lot of his career, like certainly in the years leading up to those roles, you see him taking on roles where he's just acting very young or in sort of the really ridiculous extreme uh, in Wolf, where he plays a werewolf, mm. and you expect uh, Jack Nicholson, who then was, I would say, probably in his 50s, uh, running around <laughs> in forests with absolutely appalling special effects makeup on him, mm. Uh, and that's that's definitely one of those times where you think, yeah, you really probably should start to take on roles that are closer to your actual age and species. Mm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Stick to your species, man. Um, what do you, uh, can you think of any examples of actors or actresses who have just kind of bowed out at kind of like a reasonable age? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think um, the the big one that leaps to mind for me just because I'm always surprised to realise that she's still alive is Doris mm-hmm. Day who um, retired from acting in 1973 when she was 49 years old uh, and hasn't acted uh, since um, she's obviously continued to have a career as a singer which uh, again I didn't realise until a few years ago when there was an announcement that she was putting out a new album mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like 
how? Is she like Tupac? Is she is she secret, dead or secreted away on an island somewhere? But uh, no, she's she's very much alive and kicking, uh, despite at uh, at the age of eighty nine. But uh, she there 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 was kind of this this thing with older actresses and sort of the classic age where at a certain point perhaps realising that the parts weren't going to be there anymore, uh, they just kind of bowed out so as to protect their sort of legacy and uh, and uh, that's you can definitely see that with Doris Day who didn't have to kind of go through a period of having to do terrible made for TV films or uh, rubbish low budget horror films because she couldn't get any more mm. work uh, so she didn't have to go for that and she clearly had you know the second career as a singer and uh, and enough money to kind of survive on. Um, another person, more recent person, uh, Bridget Fonda, who um, who uh, was uh, who retired in her, I want to say in her forties, uh, but that in that instance it was to sort of uh, raise a family uh, rather than sort of protecting a legacy. And uh, though that's a very noble reason, I'm, I miss Bridget Fonda. I'd like to see her in more in films again, but uh, she's uh, she's not around. What was the last film she did? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I will. Look you look it up, up while I kind of uh, mention Warren Beatty, who is someone who's kind of existed in kind of semi-retirement. You always kind of worry he's going to come out of it and do something, um, but he hasn't been in a film since. Is it Town and Country? Was that in the late nineties? Uh, yeah, I think Town and Country. I want to say it was like two thousand and one. Yeah, and for someone who is was the biggest star in the world for the best part of you know 10-15 years um, that's quite peculiar isn't it yeah it is I mean he always says there's always reports that he's planning to like do a new Dick Tracy film or something because apparently he has the rights to the character and he wants to do something mm. with it but uh, yeah he kind of stepped away from the limelight after Town and Country which was a legendary disaster um, and uh, just hasn't uh, hasn't done anything since and uh, on one level I'd rather he didn't come back and make another town and country. Mm. Uh, but, you know, otherwise he was a very interesting talent, both as a, an actor and a director. I think it's a shame he's uh, he, he isn't uh, working more, although I think, you know, sort of just relaxing and not doing anything and being Warren Beatty is probably a pretty sweet life. Yeah. Uh, the last the last film that uh, Bridget Fonda was in was a TV movie called Snow Queen, where she played Snow Queen, <laughs> and that was in 2002. And she was also on four episodes of the Chris Isaac show. Wow! And that was that. That was her career. The last feature film she was in was a film called The Whole Shebang, starring uh, Stanley Tucci, which I have never heard of. Oh, and Talia Shire, another uh, or Talia Shire, a uh, a new Hollywood actress who, uh, like as we were saying earlier, doesn't really do anything these yeah. days. Yeah, maybe it's because her brother has stopped making films. Maybe <laughs> there's a correlation between the two. <laughs> Um, and, and Stallone did kill her off from the Rocky franchise, so yeah, uh, yeah that's the two revenue streams have just kind of dissipated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you think of any actors or actresses or even directors who get more interesting as they get older? Uh, someone who I think remained consistently interesting would have been Sidney Lumet, mm-hmm. who uh, you know obviously he had his kind of brilliant uh, run sort of early in his career. You know, his first film was 12 Angry Men, which uh, some would say is one of the best films ever made. I I would be one of those people. Uh, and then, you know, he really... And then, you know, he, he did a lot of other stuff in the 
the 50s and 60s, uh, The Hill, a film I'm very, very fond of, uh, with a very, very good performance by uh, Sean Connery. And then in the 70s, you get, you know, a string of classics, Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico, Network, you know, uh, just a, an amazing little run he had there. Uh, and then, you know, in the 80s and 90s, lots of very interesting films. Q&A, a film I quite like, with a very good performance by Nick Nolte and an absolutely terrible theme mm-hmm. tune. Which uh, we've we've talked about on the podcast before, but it really is staggering how it terrible is. the theme tune to Q and A is. Uh, and then um, in the two thousands, he uh, he he bowed out with two films back to back, which I find um, I, I personally find very interesting. Two thousand and six, he did Find Me Guilty, which is a courtroom comedy starring Vin Diesel as a uh, as a real life mafioso who defended himself in court but and managed to uh, essentially get the entire New Jersey mafia. Uh, off from uh, criminal charges by being very gregarious and funny and uh, that's a very strange project but it's very interesting and very entertaining and uh, has a genuinely great performance by Vin Diesel in it and um, and then in 2007 he made his final film uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead which is an incredibly bleak and violent and abrasive uh, thriller uh, you know with a disjointed narrative and lots of death and violence uh, which is not what you would expect from a man who was uh, in his 80s. Mm. But, you know, he, uh, he he bowed out on a very, very strong note. But... Yeah, I mean, it kind of almost feels like it kind of uh, in reverse because uh, it's, it's a film that doesn't feel like someone trying to ape the style of a younger filmmaker. It just feels genuinely like an explosive first feature. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think if you'd shown that to someone and said, you know, is who how old do you think the person who made this film was you'd think it would be someone who was like young and fresh and had something to prove rather than someone who literally had nothing to prove mm. who had a string of classics under his belt and really could have sort of rested on his laurels uh, with uh, with ease uh, but you know he's, he's someone I always think of as a, as a good example of someone who the older they got the more more interesting they got do you think that you know, some of the actors we mentioned coming out of that kind of New Hollywood era, the Pacinos and the De Niro's, the Nicholsons. Do you think that their kind of uh, um, voyage into the twilight years of their career has kind of tarnished their legacy, um, or do you think that you know, or do you think that, that like, it's just the fact that their career has been thirty odd years, maybe you know, almost forty years in some cases, and it's just the law of averages that you know the hunger goes, the drive goes and uh, the quality of the work will decrease I think it's yeah I think in certain cases they have tarnished the legacy but I think it's it's a kind of a generational thing I think people who are in their sort of 40s and 50s who grew up with them as the great types in the world probably still view them that way and people like you and I who are who have grown up with sort of the dregs of their careers in a lot of ways uh, we think of them that way because we've gone back and we've explored mm-hmm. that but I think for a lot of the younger generation, the people who are coming up now and the people who aren't kind of thinking, oh I should go and rent Taxi Driver or you know, I should check out this film from 1972 or whatever, you know, they're probably they probably think of them as these guys who appear in like terrible cop movies or like really broad shitty comedies and so, and I think that that is a, you know, it's just a kind of a perception thing and shifting audiences. I think that for a lot of people, uh, you know, I think they'd be shocked if you showed them uh, Taxi Driver if they were more familiar f- with Robert De Niro from like, you know, the Meet the Fockers films or 
uh, Last Vegas. You know, I think that those that early work is still amazing, and nothing's ever going to tarnish or make people or, or erase that from history. But I think that uh, it does mean that all in the history books they'll be remembered as people who burned burned very brightly for a very short period of relatively short period of time, and then kind of got lazy and started doing. Uh, just shitty, shitty work. The older they got. Mm, yeah, I concur. Um, Dustin Hoffman's an odd one, isn't he? He kind of mixes it up a bit. Oh yeah, I mean, he he does. Obviously, he's in the Fockers films, so, so he will take a big paycheck sort of thing. But he also has this like this. His career these days seems to consist entirely of showing up in supporting roles in these really odd little films. Like you know, he's he's really really good in. Finding Neverland. He's uh, he's really funny in I Heart Huckabees, which is a frightfully strange mm. film. Um, Barney's Virgin, uh, Perfume, uh, The Scent of a Murderer, or whatever the full title of that film is. Um, he's uh, you know he just shows up in these these really small films. Look, he's really good on Look, uh, or he was really good on Look. Obviously, it's not a going concern. Um, but you know he's someone who just seems to follow the work. He doesn't kind of like. He doesn't seem to just do every old script that comes his way. He seems very discerning, and even though he uh, makes the odd uh, Mr. McGoran's Wonder Emporium, uh, I think he's the sort of person who's reached a point in his career where he thinks, "Yeah, I'll take a risk on this weird, odd, little, oddball little film," uh, which I don't think uh, the others of that we've mentioned do that very much anymore but I think they are more concerned with the paycheck than with the work mm. um, you've so, well an actor that I can think of that seems uh, very uh, set on preserving their legacy and especially since they're kind of uh, the work they do uh, kind of when they're not making films is uh, is Robert Redford obviously he's heavily involved with the Sundance Institute um, and he does do uh, kind of prestige films that are kind of fairly safe bets doesn't he but then he does turn up and do some interesting things every now and then you've just seen him in All Is Lost yes in which he is very very good I mean that's a a very startling choice for him to make at this point in his career because you know even though he's still a really good uh, actor I think there's a certain complacency to a lot of the stuff that he does these days as both an actor in things like you know the company you keep and uh, Lions for Lambs, which he directed as well, and uh, the Conspirator, which is a very drab film about the uh, the Lincoln assassination. Mm. Um, and yeah, you know, I think there it's very middle brow and kind of doesn't really allow himself to really t- display the skill he has either as a as a filmmaker because I think he's a very interesting director. You know, we've talked in the past about how good Ordinary People mm-hmm. is and how it kind of gets an unfair rap for being the film that. Uh, beat Raging Bull um, when it's actually a, a really fantastic very well done drama I really like Quiz Show I think he's, he's, he did a really good job with that with some very unwieldy material and um, I think he, but in recent years he seems to have just kind of either because he doesn't have the time because you know I'd say he's very busy with Sundance or he just kind of doesn't really feel the need to prove anything he doesn't do very much work and the work he does isn't that challenging mm. but all is lost where he is the only person who appears on screen for the entire film and he plays this guy who's lost at sea and it's a very physical performance it's all about him trying to survive the elements and 
surviving through ingenuity. There's almost no dialogue in the entire film, um, except for a bit of narration at the start. A couple of times, you know, he kind of like shouts help when he thinks that they, there's a possibility of rescue. At one point, he screams the word fuck for um, very justifiable reasons um, <laughs> as, as a result of the terrible things that happened to him over the course of the film. And it's just this very intense, but not. It's it's, it's very interesting. It's a very intense performance because obviously he's going through these horrible, uh, this horrible ordeal. But it's not showy. It's very much kind of a physical thing, and just in the way his demeanour shifts, and uh, it's he he's shows his age quite a bit. You know, I think he he doesn't act like he's this sort of strapping young man who's surviving the elements. He is an old guy who's just pushed to his limit. And uh, it's 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 not the sort of performance you'd expect to see from someone like Robert Redford, and I think it's it's very it's a very powerful and interesting film. Um, is the bit where he shouts "fuck"? I mean, obviously, I haven't seen the film, but has that got anything to do with uh, the tiger that's on the boat with him? Uh, no, it's to do with the fact that uh, Sandra Bullock's uh, spaceship is like hurtling towards him. Yes. Yes, it has a big year for being uh, stranded or abandoned or kind of trying to survive on your own, isn't it? Yeah, I think they're, they're very interesting companion pieces are um, Gravity and uh, and All Is Lost, uh, with the interesting thing with uh, All Is Lost being that it's like Gravity but stripped down even further. You know, if you, even fewer actors, absolutely no backstory and uh, no... Uh, and hardly any effects except you know when they're doing the storms which are, are fairly infrequent mm. yeah well I can't wait to check that one out and I will do as soon as it arrives um, if we're talking about actors who are also directors who have kind of who are old and shit we're probably going to mention Clint Eastwood at some point because there's a man who's done something very interesting uh, with uh, the idea of ageing and also um Exploring uh, his own screen persona um, and how that relates to age. Yeah, because uh, obviously he's made two films nearly 20 years apart which kind of explored different aspects of his persona. In, in 1992 he made Unforgiven, which was kind of his swan song to the western part of his career where he seemed to acknowledge that he was getting too old to play cowboys anymore, so he made this incredibly sad melancholy and and sort of rueful film about uh, vengeance and violence and and the old west which is a you know really fantastic piece of work and obviously he was uh, he was well rewarded for that with uh, two oscars and then uh, in nine, in 2008 he made Gran Torino which kind of did the same sort of thing but with his sort of vigilante uh, dirty harry persona mm. um, and i think there you can really see him Engaging with his own sort of screen persona and kind of stepping away, and both instances you kind of watch those films and you think he could have easily retired after either of those two films and just become a director. Um, having seen Trouble with the Curve, I kind of feel he, he should have done that with Gran Torino. I mean, he's not he's not bad in it, but it's, it's one of those things where you think you had such a good final performance to bow out mm. on. It just seems a little it just seems a little crass to kind of do further work. Yeah, but even even outside of acting, you know, in the last decade, he's done a lot of very interesting uh, work as a filmmaker. Um, and when he, like uh, some of the people we've mentioned, you know, he could have very easily rested on his laurels and just done sort of paycheck work. Uh, when instead, he 
wanted to kind of take control of his career. He didn't act in a film that he didn't direct between 1993 and 2012. Uh, you know, every film he acted in was one that he originated, and I think there that's a, a sign of his own clout and his own his own desire to control the work that he produces. Mm. Well, he can't be in anyone else's film now because Don Siegel's dead. That's a good point, yeah. He's a uh, go-to guy for many years. Yeah, I find it weird to think of a Clint Eastwood performance that's not in a Clint Eastwood film. Yeah, he's so... He's like a... Weirdly, he's like an old crotchety chaplain mm. in that regard. He, he's so... Uh, Associated with the work that he creates, that it seems really weird that he would not actually be behind of and in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah, that's it's quite, it's quite weird. That uh, I think Unforgiven is probably um, the more effective of those two films, isn't it? In terms of dealing mm. with aging and also uh, the cast of Unforgiven is all quite old, isn't it? I mean, Gene Hackman and Morgan Freeman, and um, so on. Um, but it's it's such a kind of uh, uh, kind of melancholy western um, but it still kind of takes those ideas of that we're all in those old sk- spaghetti westerns that you know Clint Eastwood helped to uh, kind of establish as a thing you know a genre on their own um, or a subgenre on their own and uh, Unforgiven for someone who spent his entire kind of career doing revisionist westerns uh, is a kind of like a revisionist revisionist western yeah, absolutely. I mean, there you can really see him uh, contemplating what all of those kind of films that he built his reputation on, uh, what they kind of all really mean. And it's a very, even though it's a very sort of viscerally very uh, exciting film in places and, you know, very satisfying film, certainly uh, see when he uh, confronts Gene Hackman and his men, it's a very satisfying sort of resolution and ending. Uh, it's a film that really is him kind of looking on sort of the violence of those films and really wondering what the meaning of it all is mm. yeah um, directing is as a gig is something you can do until you're pretty old uh, famously Robert Altman directed uh, I think it was either his last film or his second to last film Prairie Home Companion and he was kind of uh, in such bad shape that they demanded he had a, a, a kind of insurance director on set at all times and it was Paul Thomas Anderson, which is not a bad uh, fallback director to work on your film for you. Um, can you think of any other filmmakers who have gone up literally right until, you know, right until the end? Yeah, I mean, John Huston directed his last film, The Dead, which is an adaptation of a James Joyce novel, uh, from while he was in an iron lung. That's he hardcore. Was, he was uh, he was ravaged by uh, emphysema. Um, and uh, I think that one is, yeah, it is, uh, it is kind of hardcore. Mm. Um, another example, yeah, we've got uh, the uh, I think Portuguese director Manuel de Oliveira, who is the oldest director uh, currently working. Mm-hmm. He is directing. Uh, he is 104. Wow. He started directing movies in 1927. Uh, he is so he started with the silent era and he is still going. Wow. Um, he still releases a film uh, every other year. He's a very sort of prolific, very uh, very uh, very good director as you would hope mm. if you've been doing it for uh, over eight years. Uh, and yeah, I think there it's a good example of someone who 
just does it because that's all they can do. I mean, Woody Allen is obviously he's still 30 years off being 100, but he's kind of in that mould. He's someone who, if he didn't direct, I don't think he would uh, he would know what to do with himself. Or uh, Stanley Kubrick, obviously, is another one, someone who famously died um, either the day or several days after handing in the final cut of uh, of uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Mm. So he was he was right up to the wire. Yeah, I always uh, kind of wonder that guy, that Portuguese guy. So he must have gone through silent. Uh, then obviously the advent of sound and then colour and then like the first lot of 3D in the 50s and then like cinemascope uh, all that kind of stuff then the second lot of 3D in like the early 80s and now he's probably doing films in 3D again now so he's probably gone through every single vogue of cinema uh, and he's, he's still trucking yeah I think the only thing he missed out on was the invention of non-linear editing or, uh, or 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 the the invention of the jump cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was the basic the basic grammar of cinema existed before he started, but it was a very it's not there's not a huge amount of difference between <laughs> when he started and when like Birth of a Nation came out. I wonder what his films are like. Have you ever seen any of this guy's films? No, I've heard nothing but good things. I hear it. He's he's very very good, but uh, mm. I've never never been able to get hold of any of them, which is a shame really because. I really, really do want to see what a film directed by a hundred-year-old man is like. Mm, slow, I reckon. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe a little distracted and uh, yeah. goes off in different directions. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of very kind of smooth dolly shots are actually from it, like an electric wheelchair <laughs> or a stair lift. Um, <laughs> the idea of uh, kind of old people in love is a bit disgusting <laughs> so so says society but in films you know it's uh, there's quite a lot of uh, good stuff there the one that springs immediately to mind is uh, one of my favourite films Harold and Maud uh, mm. which uh, tells the story of a 8 year old woman who starts going out with a kind of 14, 15 year old boy uh, which is kind of should be kind of pretty weird and bad but it's actually amazing Um but there's a lot of other examples like that. Venus is another one, isn't there? That's kind of like with the the kind of gender roles reversed. Came out a few years ago. Yeah, with the more traditional um, way of these things, because as we said earlier, this is generally more likely that you'll see an older man with a younger woman, uh, both either within the context of the film or sometimes just because they cast an older actor. Um, the worst example I can think of for that is, have you ever seen the film Tell No One, the uh, French film from a few years ago? Oh, I haven't, no. It's very, very good. It's a very good uh, thriller. But um, the two main characters in it are a man and a woman who've been married, and they are childhood sweethearts. So, like, they went to school together, they're the same age. When they grow up, they're played by an actor who is 15 years older than the woman who plays his wife. And that's one of the worst examples I can think of them just kind of <laughs> just really cynically casting an older actor when they were real uh, and a younger actress when. There was no need from the material. But anyway, that's another thing. But yeah, in Venus, it's uh, Peter O'Toole, who uh, is an old actor, um, kind of uh, appropriately, given that it's Peter O'Toole, (laughs) and he's a very Mm -hmm. old actor. Um, And he sort of enters into this very sweet, uh, oddly sort of sensual relationship with Jodie Whittaker's sort of this young girl that he becomes uh, infatuated with. And it's a, it's a very sweet, very uh, quite sad 
film about sort of uh, of that about their relationship that uh, is I, I'm I'm quite fond of, and I, I think that it's gone. It's the uh, Peter O'Toole's performance in it is amazing because he convinces you that this relationship could happen and that it's not weird. You know, I think uh, that's kind of the the the, the best uh, compliment that could be played to his performance. Uh, that you watch it and you think I completely believe what's happening. I think it's um, there's a really kind of touching bit in that film where I'm going to spoil Venus for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, but uh, Peter O'Toole's character dies, and his friends read his obituary, and they open like the stage or something, wherever it is, and it's got this because the the character he plays is an actor, and it's got his old headshot from you know Peter O'Toole's genuine headshot from like the 50s. And there's this kind of weird moment that, like, you just know that it's not far off that moment actually happening, and mm-hmm. that headshot probably appearing in an obituary that's going to be read by a bunch of old actors. And in the film, it has a resonance, and then but then in real life, it has a resonance. And like, I think that must be weird to be uh, an actor who's kind of aging to kind of watch your own obituary being read by people who mm-hmm. actually are your friends on screen. Yeah, I remember um, a few years ago there was a, a film of Michael Caine in called uh, Is Anybody There? where he played a guy who uh, befriends uh, a young boy who whose family own and operate an old folks home. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, going to spoil it, so sorry to people, his character dies in it. And uh, I, I, I don't really feel that bad about spoiling it because Michael Caine gave an interview around about the release of the film where he said that his family watched the film and they, they, they said they were very disturbed by it and he said why and it's the first time we've ever seen you die on film mm. and he said well you know I've died plenty of times on film he says no you've been killed on film and you know there's obviously a remove there because it, there, it's, he's unlikely as Michael Caine to get gunned down <laughs> on a beach in Newcastle um, mm. at any point in his life because he's an actor but you know the idea of seeing him kind of like gently pass away uh, was something that he'd never done on film before, and his family—they said that they found that very, very moving and very sort of difficult because it's something that is sort of in the back of their minds, is something that's going to happen at some point. And, uh, and I, I think that there's any time an older actor plays a character their age and they die, I think there is there is an element there to them as kind of in some way anticipating their own sort of death and I think anyone who knows them probably is very weirded out by that as a result mm. yeah it's quite a kind of odd one um, any other examples you can think of of like uh, how films handle love between old people or old people and young people uh, we had a more didn't we last year that was that was quite a big one yeah I think last year was interesting because you had the why kind of view as the two opposing ends of the spectrum where it comes to old love because on the one hand you have something like a moor which is very serious and very dour and very uh, rigorous in its depiction of the, the practicalities of, of two old people being in love and sort of having to one having to care for the other because they have a stroke and you know and the infirmities of, of being old and how difficult it all is and then you also had the best exotic marigold hotel which is like uh, upbeat comedy about old people and oh they're in love and isn't it all so silly and I think that uh, you see more of the latter kind of films than you do the former I think because I think 
again it comes to that sort of denial of death sort of thing people want to deny that they're going to die one day and they want to think that they'll be able to be young and happy and free for all of their lives and i think in uh in in things like the best exotic marigold hotel even though one of the characters does die you know they die being sort of having doing this like big grand adventure which i don't think many people who get to that point in their life actually do get to have and i think that um there you kind of see the uh the die i think there you see that the escapist element of film where i think people don't want to go and watch realistic depictions of people getting old and dying they want to see them just the idea that you know when you're 70 you'll still be sort of vivacious and you sort of like uh energetic and happy when chances are things might be a little more difficult than that when you get to that age Mm. and i think that yeah i think film gives a very unrealistic kind of uh vision of like age and aging like the film that's currently on in the background uh, on my TV whilst I'm recording this is a uh, I want to call it a comedy uh, starring Bernie Mac and Samuel L. Jackson called uh, Soul Men um, and it's just kind of watching Samuel L. Jackson there and just kind of looked him up and I never seem to think of him as an old man but he is 64 years old and I don't think I've ever seen him play his age no, I don't think he has either. I think we'll have to wait until he's 80 before he gets to that point. Although, yeah. uh, I, just kind of think, I think uh, the character he played in Django was kind of close to his age. Or at least they made him look older. He was but certainly he was still, playing it. It was a pretty was, large performance, wasn't it? Yeah, it was It was very broad. He was still very broad and villainous. It wasn't kind of a realistic depiction of someone in their 60s. No, if they would have dropped his character from Django into a moor, it <laughs> might have <laughs> might have thrown it off uh, ever so slightly. But it's those kind of things, uh, and you know, seeing Sylvester Stallone kind of you know running and gunning and all that kind of stuff, that just you know, it, it, that's why it's a surprise to see Jack Nicholson playing his own age, and that's just that's just crazy. Yeah, I think uh, again we keep circling back to this idea that it's, it is kind of a denial of and films about old people are, I think by and large, about the denial of aging. Um, I think that that you really see that in uh, someone like Nicholson and you know, Stallone and all the people we've mentioned so far is that they are attempting to kind of stave off uh, their own aging by appearing young and. In, in turn kind of giving people a kind of false hope that when they get old it's going to be fine when probably not be I think most people aging will be close to something like uh, Umberto D which is a film by Vittorio De Sica which is about an old man who sort of nears the end of his life and uh, is poor and kicked out of his home and has to try and figure out what he's going to do with his dog and it's very heartbreaking and sad or something like uh, Wild Strawberries the Bergman film where it's an old professor sort of looking back on his life with kind of regret even though he seems to have a very nice life and he's being invited to give a talk uh, by sort of former students and stuff I think that, that those kind of darker emotions which I think are the sort of thing you accrue just over the course of life in general uh they tend to get kind of shoved, uh, shoved off to the side a bit more uh, and I think on one hand that's under- understandable because I don't think that Hollywood studios want to just 
constantly put out films that are complete downers. Mm. But uh, on the other hand, you know, I think it kind of falls into that problem that was. It's kind of similar to the film Don John, the uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt film from earlier this year, where his kind of whole thing there is he's talking about the way in which guys who are addicted to porn have unrealistic ideas about what sex and relationship involves, but also people who watch too many sort of romantic comedies have uh, have unrealistic ideas about relationships and how men and women are meant to interact and I think films about the aging process by and large that come out of the sort of mainstream ones tend to propagate uh, incorrect and uh, inaccurate and uh, probably very very false image of what happens as you get older hmm yeah, absolutely. When you just said they're like uh, Umberto D, old man, loses his house, there's a dog. I instantly thought of the film Up. <laughs> yeah, Up is very much the uh, the more adventurous version of Umberto D. Uh, they mm. even share a, le- a first letter, so you'd yeah. file them. You'd file them right next to each other in your shelf. Um, you certainly I would. do. I do love Up. Um, I think that that one has even though it's about an old man who goes on an adventure in a flying house, I think the the emotions, you know, certainly in terms of his relationship with his wife and that, you know, legendarily heartbreaking first ten minutes um, is, uh, is I think that's, that's that is surprisingly real and about sort of, again, getting into things about regret and sadness and, you know, it, even though you can live a long and happy life and have a great marriage at the end of it, you still end up alone and sort of old and sad uh, you know, that's and Up is probably one of the more realistic sort of mainstream American films about uh, about ageing that's come out in recent years and it hang on, hang on. did you say realistic? and I'm just going to say it's the most realistic and it features talking dogs flying planes which I think yeah. underpin, underpins the problem of, of how Hollywood depicts the, uh, the ageing process yeah yeah, it's a problem um, well that kind of concludes our, our not only this episode of the podcast, but also that is the you know we've com- we've completed a set, we've completed a journey from uh, uh, kind of being born into the world to you know sliding off, smelling a piss, and complaining about a stiff hip. Um, that was quite fun, wasn't it? Yeah, well, m- not so much this one. This episode, I think, <laughs> is probably a bit of a downer. Um, we should have Benjamin buttoned it and started with the old age one and ended yeah. with childhood. That would have been. That would have been the right way to go. Um, yeah. But no, I think this was if this was a really fun project for us to engage to engage in. I think we should try and think of one to do next year. Yeah, I was trying to think if we could carry this on and do an afterlife one, uh, and have to just oh watch, that'd be a like, good one. The postscript, like Ghost uh, and some other bad films about being a ghost. Casper. Casper. Uh, what's that one with the cello player? Uh, oh, Alan um, in it. Truly, madly, deeply. Is that the one? That's the one. Yeah, I don't want to watch any of those films. <laughs> I don't want to do any of that. Um, although I'm sure there's a film with uh, Reese Witherspoon and Mark Ruffalo, where he dies, or she, no, she dies. Just like uh, heaven. That's the one. Yeah. Um, I know all the, the shitty ghost movies. Yeah. <laughs> For <laughs> some reason. And the next part of our uh, Five Ages of Man is shitty ghost movies. <laughs> um, I think that would be a great subject for a podcast. Um, but yeah, um, I've enjoyed that. Um, we didn't really talk about euthanasia in 
films. I can't really think of many uh, films about euthanasia. Can you? You don't um, want to bring it down anymore. Battle Royale, that's about euthanasia. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is, uh, without doubt, one of the best puns you've busted out <laughs> in uh, in the history of the Shot Reverse Shot podcast, and I don't think we can top that today. So, um, until we're back next time, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Don't be unkind.